Sovereign Lord, Eternal God, Almighty, Most Glorious, the Omnipotent, how many names, how many attributes of You in view as we come now before You. You are the God who is exalted above all, and yet the God who has stooped down to come near, to not only reveal Yourself to us today through Your Word, but then assist us and help us along as we study to understand You and to learn more about what You expect of us. We delight to be Your people today, to gather together and sing Your praise. We, we love to be Your children. It is the defining reality of our lives, Lord. There is nothing more significant in this life than You. And so we rightly gather today to put You first and to, to come and listen to Your voice. We pray, oh Father, please speak to us now. Speak through Your Word. And use me, I pray, to that end, that we would all together be addressed by You in this place, and that we would fear You more, obey You more completely from the heart, and please You as we walk in Your grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You shall not murder. want to get at this, this command by... Moving through a number of questions, and you can see on your sermon notes that I have, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six questions total that I want to ask today. The first, maybe the most easy to answer, is this. What is murder? What is it? And what is it specifically in this context that the Lord has in view in commanding His people not to do it? Let's look at the, uh, the language here. Lo retzak. Lo retzak is the, the original language. The lo is the not or the no. Uh, and retzak is murder. Murder. Sometimes people are confused by this because the old King James Version said kill here. I think almost all of your translations that you're using but the King James would say murder. I think that's right. Murder is what's in view Killing, if we use the word kill here, then it's completely inconsistent then with what is commanded in the rest of this book, let alone the rest of the law, because there are times where killing is commanded. And we would uh, want to make sure we're separating that. Lo ritzak, the unlawful and unjust taking of human life, of human life. That is specifically in view here. Unjust and unlawful means it is not sanctioned by any court. It is called by the Lord as unlawful. Uh, it is not in any righteous response. For instance, in the book of Judges, as Dan is preparing to teach, there are a number of displays of points along the way where the Lord raises up someone to uh, judge Israel. And in that, there is death and there is killing to be done. And that is at His command. But here, what we have is an unlawful and unjust taking of human life. Now, putting down an animal is different than taking the life of a human being. It's different. And one of the things I want us to appreciate and feel more weight uh, of this reality as we move through these things is what is that difference? Why is it different? What's the significance here? Shall not murder. The second question, then, that needs to be asked is, why? 
Why is this wrong? I was fascinated by this question as I just sat on it this week. If you were to ask pretty much everybody in this room, we'd all agree we shouldn't do it. But if you were to poll people in our culture, out among the highways and byways, what responses might we get? Well, how can we have a thriving society if we just go around killing people? We can't. There has to be order, right? In, in some way, it's more utilitarian. It's just a matter of survival and, and thriving and, and human flourishing. Well, true, it is that. But there has to be more. And indeed, there is much more. I think there would be other angles to take on this, but I want to give us two of the primary things that I see in view for a, a correct answer to why is it wrong to murder. Number one, God's authority. God's authority. His righteous judgment. God has established a set of uh, principles by which we are to live. A command. This commandment meets us then. It comes with divine authority, and it comes to us as those who are his creation. And so, yeah, we should not murder because it's wrong. And why is it wrong? Well, because God has said that it's wrong. If you look at how murder many times unfolds, you see this verse meet folks who might be heading down that path. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Why? Because you need to leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Don't take away from God what is his rightful duty. Recompense, retribution, wrath. That is the work of God. He does so perfectly, flawlessly, and with extreme precision. In righteousness, something that we cannot do. And so he says, don't take matters into your own hands. This is not vigilante justice. This is leave room for God. Leave room for God. So God's authority. He is the one who sees all. He doesn't just witness with precision. He sees the motive. He sees the heart. He sees everything that leads to that, and he sees it perfectly. And he sees it with the backdrop of his holiness in view. He is the perfect judge. He is the perfect one to dispense justice. And indeed, he is the perfect executioner of that. It's kind of obvious, but we have to remind ourselves at this point. God does kill. God kills. He does not murder in the sense of unlawful or unjust. But he kills. It is God's right to take life, human life. And sometimes we don't see it this way. In fact, I would add anybody who dies ultimately dies at God's hand. Not to make God the author of sin or participant in active uh, works of sin, but that we would say God is sovereign over life. He ordains days. He is sovereign over every breath you will draw. And when he chooses and then brings that to pass, you will not draw any more breath. Your heart will cease to beat. God is sovereign in this way. It is his right, his authority to reign and rule over human life. He starts it and he finishes it. For the believer, this is great comfort. This is a great comfort. 
You ordained all of my days, says the prophet Jeremiah, when as there were not yet even one of them. Before I was even formed in my mother's womb, my life was yours, ordained by you, Alpha, Omega, from the very beginning to the end. My days are yours. That's a comfort for believers. The second point, though, it's wrong to murder, to take human life, because God's image is set specifically upon his creation of humanity. There are no animals or plant species that carry the image of God. Only humanity is made in God's image. Not even angels have the image of God. Consider this. Therefore, to take the life, to murder the life of a human, is to take the image of God and attack it directly. And ultimately, I think this is the greatest offense in murder is that it is committed against the image of God. Ultimately, it's not just this plane. It is this plane. And the offense goes not just against the rule, but against the very God who is and has set His image upon every human being. This command reaches from conception to the grave. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? In Genesis 9-6. For, here's the basis, the reason, the foundation of this command, God made man in his own image. It's not the same as taking the life of an animal. It's not the same as cutting down a, a corn stalk. When you take the life of a human being, you oppose the very God who is and has set his image in that person. God said, Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And how did he create him? Male and female. So the statement in our statement of faith regarding gender is that it is God's creation. It is God's gift. It's God's design. To reject that is to reject God. In the very image that he has so wonderfully and beautifully set upon you as a man or as a woman. Glorious. His image set upon mankind. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's, it's why this commandment, I think, is in this list. You shall not murder. Because ultimately, it's about God. And it's about His glory. Now, how does it begin? How does murder begin? More often than not, you don't see the path that leads up to it. You just turn on the news, and there it is. There was a shooting down in Seattle, and so-and-so is dead. Or there was a domestic dispute, things got crazy, and now someone is dead. Well, what happened? How did this unfold? What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? James writes, Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire 
and do not have, so you murder. Now he goes on. There's obviously more. This is the, the root of it. It begins in the heart. It flows from a desire, a longing, an unmet longing, many times informed by pride. I deserve. You should do what I want, right? And this leads to conflict. This leads to, to anger. In fact, you can see it, desire that leads to anger. I have an unmet longing, desire in me. This is what I want. This is what you should do. Or, even more directly, what we've witnessed on the news. A hatred that simmers. That's just a insane hatred that would look upon another group of people or another race and say, you don't deserve to live. You are less than I am. Just say this. Hate has no place in the life of a Christian. Hate is an anti-gospel. And I am, I am ashamed to see how in the history of our nation even, some of these hate groups have actually found safe haven in churches. It blows my mind. Compromise like crazy. Hatred has no place. But here, it, it seethes. It's an anger, a desire, a longing. And it turns into this hatred which basically begins to say, I don't believe that you should live. You don't deserve to live. And then it morphs, as sin always does, into a malice, which is, I want to kill you. I, I want to hurt you. And this malice, it, it has a fuse, right? It has a fuse. Sometimes it's long, sometimes it's short. Where there is not the fruit of the Spirit and self-control is lacking, it can be an explosion that anger turns then into rage and this malice finds a path and life is taken. Murder is committed. Now, lest we think that this command has nothing to do with us, we need to remember that while I would hope most of us have not killed anybody this morning, we all have a point along the way of this progression to guard against. Unmet desire, anger, how do I deal with it? What is the response going to be? Even beginning to simmer, to set a, a comfort zone for anger that then simmers down into a, just a settled hatred for somebody. We need to be on our guard against this. Listen to what you read in 1 John about Cain and Abel. We should not be like Cain, John writes, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. This is the first murder ever committed in Scripture. Why did he do it? Why did he murder him? Because of his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Whoa, wait a second. We just jumped. Did, did you see the jump? We, we went from Cain, who struck down his brother in cold blood, to this. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. He's not saying that we've done anything with the hatred. 
He's saying that murder is more than the act of killing somebody. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Friends, this builds out, doesn't it? Jesus built this out big time for us. He raised the bars. He taught. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard it said uh, that it was said uh, uh, to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. This is just like a rabbi teaching with authority. In this day, just so we know, rabbis did not bring new teaching. You taught the yoke of the rabbi that you trained under. That was, the, that was the teaching you were authorized to give. Jesus comes in and he says, but I say to you. And all of the religious leaders would have been like, whoa, what? What is this rabbi doing? He has authority. And what we learn as you read through the Gospels, it wasn't just prophetic from John the Baptist, but it was divine from the very heavens as the Father spoke down at Jesus' baptism. He had double authority. And he says this, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus raises the bar. I don't think we should get lost in some ascending punishments here. What, what I think is in view is that Jesus is saying you need to look at your heart and ask yourself, what is the posture of my heart toward my neighbor, toward my enemy, toward those who are difficult to get along with? What will be my heart toward them? It's about the heart. Murder begins there, and so does judgment, according to Jesus and according to John. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 15, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. He goes on. Where does murder begin? It begins in the heart. In fact, I would suggest that the person who commits a murder has probably a thousand times already committed that murder by the time he actually pulls the trigger. We live in a day with increasing insanities. Some of the things that take place in our day reveal just a depravity. Increasing depravity, a satanic depravity. That is just unnerving. Senseless, sometimes even random. What is this? And I would just say this at this point. We need to be a people who are aware of the value of God's image set upon humanity. And though the culture, especially Hollywood, would say grotesque violence is not a problem. We are not the kind of people who should just frequent whatever movie is promoted by Hollywood. I watched a scene of a movie the other day that shook me for days. I only saw four minutes of it before I shut it down. And I was just like, I can't believe I'm watching this. It was violent, unbelievably violent. And it was on TV, so it had already been filtered for TV. Filtered by who? By the culture of organized sin. Therefore, 
I turned it off. And for days it shook me. People being mowed down who carry the image of God, even on the silver screen of Hollywood, it's not acceptable. It's not okay. We need to be on our guard against this. There is a context for violence. I'm not saying that war movies are, are all bad. But I think we need to understand that in our day, the bar of holiness as it relates to the image of God in humanity is being violated like crazy. And I would just add this. Just because you call somebody a zombie does not mean that they fail to carry the image of God in a movie. So don't fall prey to this. Zombie apocalypse movies where everyone's getting mowed down, they're still human beings who bear the image of God. Video games, young people, be aware of this. How many murders will we take in? How many ended lives will be in our heart or on our mind by the end of a week? We have to be careful. Otherwise, it will become normal to watch human life taken on TV and to think, well, it's on the news. It's no different. Mm. Stand out, Christians. What is not being prohibited in this commandment? I, I really appreciated this question, and I, as I studied Al Mohler, he did an excellent job. He, he, he built this out because I think it's important to, to know not only what is being prohibited, but what is not specifically in view. And here's a few things. Lawful war is not being prohibited. There would be many who would be conscientious objectors who would say, I, I want to obey the sixth commandment and therefore I cannot fight. I cannot take life. It says, you shall not kill. And I think what I would say is a better translation is you shall not murder unlawful and unrighteous or unjust taking of human life. However, there is a place for war. What is that place? When a war is set about to save life by taking out those who are taking life. One of the easiest examples to point to is Hitler on a global conquest, killing Jews in the millions. That is a righteous, a just war. In doing so, you are saving life. And so to go and to take life in order to save it in that sense, I think is just. But, but ask the question, was all the killing of World War II just? That's a lot more difficult. There is an entire group of, of thinkers that have defined what they call just war theory. It's a fascinating study. Just war theory is something that functions then and seeks to equip leaders of governments when they ask the question, should we go to war or not? And when we go to war, how, how should we conduct this war? Do we just carpet bomb entire cities? Grateful for precision-guided weaponry. I think that has brought us much closer to actually taking out the perpetrators rather than just burying a city. You know that there were some cities that we carpet bombed in World War II where more people died in those cities than Hiroshima and Nagasaki? 
So we have to ask the question, not only is it a lawful war, but in, in the way we conduct this war, are we being faithful to the commands of God? Governing authorities, Paul writes in Romans 13, are God's servant for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid. For he, Caesar, does not bear the sword in vain. That's one of the reasons God has put Caesar or governing authorities in place is to restrain evil. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoers. So no, it's not wrong to be in the military. No, it's not wrong to fight in war. At least not according to this commandment, I would say. Jesus did not tell the Roman centurion to quit his job and stop being a part of the Roman army. So what is not being prohibited, lawful war, is not prohibited by this command. Self-defense is also not prohibited in this. There's a fascinating passage here that I found that really kind of builds this out for us. In Exodus 22, so just a couple chapters will be there, but it says this, If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him, for he sure he shall surely pay. Uh, if he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. What's happening here? Well, the assumption is that this is happening at night and someone has broken into a home and in self-defense, this man is struck. The, the, the thief is struck down and he dies. Is the person then who defended his home to be held for his blood guilt? No. But if in the morning... He's still there and he's holding him and he's got this thief and he, and he gets angry and he says, that's it. You know what? I can't believe you did that. You're still in my house and I'm, I'm restraining him. And then he kills him. Well, then we got a problem because that was a committed murder. That was an act of violence rather than of defense. Fascinating. So I would say self-defense is not prohibited here. In fact, if you go to the role of the uh, spiritual leader of the home if anything being a spiritual leader one of the primaries in the equation is a protector of the family a protector of the home and so we have to think carefully about what does it mean to protect what does it mean to defend and pray oh lord please don't bring a situation where i have to choose to take a life to save my family and their lives. But if so, this commandment does not prohibit that. Number three, capital punishment is also not prohibited by this commandment. We live in a day that's upside down. And I would just say that those who would oppose capital punishment from the sixth commandment do so completely inconsistently. Because if you go on through the giving of the law, it's throughout that capital punishment is spoken of. I'll give you a few passages here. Leviticus 24, 17. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Now, by who? This is assumed to be by an authority, a governing authority, by someone in a just role who's been placed there by God to dispense justice, not vigilante justice. And then you go down to this whole sanctuary city, which was a fascinating display of God's grace to people. Listen to how this unfolds. There are six cities that shall be a refuge for the people of Israel and the stranger and the sojourner among them. 
that anyone who kills any person without intent, that's important, without intent may flee there. But if he struck him down with an iron object so that he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. It's a command. Now, he goes on and he talks about a, a wooden object. And he dies. He is a murderer. He shall be put to death. There's all of these breakouts that, that are understood. So intent is also important to see. We're going to look at that more. There is sanctuary for those who have been in a dispute or something happens and they end up, some, someone winds up dead. And they run to the sanctuary city fearing for their life from the family of the person who died, who was killed. If they strike them down on purpose, the intent was murder, then the result is they are to be killed. They are to be put to death. I just add this. I lived in Chicago for four years. I remember what it sounded like to hear automatic gunfire being sprayed around outside of our dorm. Uh, it was extremely common, especially my first year during a, a large gang war, to hear gunfire throughout the night. And I'm, I'm, I grew up in Yakima. We went hunting. We heard guns in the mountains. I'm thinking to myself, they're not hunting. Deer, we're talking about killing humanity taking place on the streets of downtown Chicago. How did the city respond? Gun control. Well, let's not go beyond the text, but it just would say, an observation is, did it work? No. They took the guns away from those who are law-abiding citizens. Those who wanted the guns don't care about the law. Now they have them, and the murder rate is through the roof. Guns are more populating that city than most Midwest cities. So we, we just need some common sense here. Self-defense, capital punishment, lawful war. These things can serve a society. There's a place for justice to function. We need to see that. So then what is being prohibited? I think a blanket uh, response, number one, is just homicide. Just put that across. That's kind of the canopy term build it out more specifically, I would say this. It's premeditated or deliberate manslaughter. That's the term where I have uh, intent and I seek out the death of somebody and then I accomplish that death. They are dead. I wanted to and then did take their life. That is prohibited in this commandment. It's murder. It's also in view careless or negligent homicide. Sometimes this will happen. Someone's been drinking and they're not purposely trying to run somebody over, but in th their path is somebody and because they're intoxicated, they're not caring for their neighbor. They're not showing esteem or concern for their life and in that they, they kill them. It's negligent homicide. So you see the function of this kind of a canopy uh, prohibition given in these things. Here's a text that kind of builds this out. It's a fascinating text. Deuteronomy 22, verse 8. When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet, or a, a guard, a fence, for your roof, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. What a fascinating little detail. So in these times, the roof was a place where you would go to cool off. 
in the evening. And you would have people over. And you, it was kind of like your, your deck. You would go up there. But it was raised. So if someone came over with their family and then one of their children fell off the roof because you did not do this, you are guilty of their blood. In that, you were negligent. You didn't go and do what was necessary to care for your fellow man. This is being prohibited. Be careful with your neighbor. Take the steps that need to be taken to protect their lives. Try to avoid their harm. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned. And its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be liable. If the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has been warned, but has not kept it in, and it kills a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner shall be put to death. Wow. You see what's happening here? Negligence in caring for those who are around me eventually becomes my act. So by not acting, I am acting for their harm. There was a man in our neighborhood before we moved into our house who had a a huge pit bull. And we heard as we hung out with our neighbors last night that they were all afraid of this dog because he would walk around and this dog would, you know, come in their yard. And let's just say that this pit bull had been violent in the past. And he did nothing. Not only that, he took him out for a walk with no leash. And all of a sudden, that pit bull attacked a child, and the child died. Whose fault is it? What this verse is saying is it's not just the pit bull who is at fault. It's the owner. And so you see this this care that is to be given to our neighbor, to others. Do what you can to care for, protect them. Secondly, what is prohibited here? Suicide. This is a very, very sensitive topic. And if you, like me, have been in situations where this has been uh, a reality for a family to go through, uh, my heart just goes out to folks who have gone through this. If you have been in a situation where you, like me, have had thoughts about suicide, then you know this is not just just another point in a sermon. Let me love you by being clear from God's Word about suicide. It's a sin. It's wrong. Suicide is self-murder. It is not a sin that will disqualify you from grace. From Scripture, though, we need to see this. And we need to love folks enough to help with this. Not in the middle of a situation. You don't go over there and just yell at them. You go with a heart. You go with love and encouragement and hope in Christ, right? But it still must be said that suicide is murder. It's self-murder. Some of you are in school situations where this is a reality. I am appalled by the fact that anyone 
in a school would say to another person, you should just kill yourself. And then I watch the news and I hear, this happens all the time. If you you make yourself complicit in someone's self-murder, not among Christians. No way. Friends, let me just go back to what I learned as a young man. There was a wonderful young man who was about 16 who was playing with matches in his dad's hay barn. His dad had a hay business, huge hay barn. The hay was in for the year, right? Money in the bank, right? He's out there playing with matches in the hay barn. It catches on fire. And all this hay begins to go up, and he panics. And he thinks, I'm in such big trouble. And then his dad gets on the tractor and drives into the flames to try to pull this fire out of the barn and save some of the hay. And he sees his dad driving a tractor into the fire and must have thought, I I must have just killed my dad too. So he goes in and he kills himself. And those poor parents could care less about the hay. What was the treasure that was lost that day? Their son. Why? Oh, it doesn't make any sense. Suicide is never an option. It's never an option. It's never so bad. Mm. Just encourage folks come alongside hold their hand walk them into hope in jesus this should be obvious but in a culture of insanity it's not because as kevin DeYoung said you can walk through the hallways of high schools and see posters that say suicide is a never an option and then go three blocks down the road to a nursing home where varieties of practices of, uh, what do they call it, death with dignity, are being practiced. Euthanasia is prohibited by this commandment. It is assisted suicide. Uh, Doctor-assisted, family-assisted suicide. It is wrong. It is wrong. It's, It's sinful. It's the taking of life. Hmm. This is a sensitive topic as well, isn't it? Some people are in tremendous pain. Some, especially those in Washington State as of 2009, if you're terminally ill within six months of what you're declared, you can go to the doctor, get meds, and take your life. That's legal in our state and almost every state in the, in the nation. More often now, families are coming and requesting this medication, which is an interesting tweak, probably unintended, just want them to be gone. Just, just take this off our radar. Take, solve this problem. How? Take their life. Friends, this is not an option for the believer. It is prohibited in this commandment, and it is murder. And we have no hand in this. We should not participate in this. We should never encourage this. Now, let me be clear. There is a difference between stopping treatment and taking life. Okay, there's, a, there's a very big difference here. If you are on life support and your body is heading toward death and if, if they pull the plug from that life support, 
then your life is in the hands of the Lord and you live as long as you're going to live. With medical situations that we have these days, uh, this is a fairly common occurrence. That is not wrong. It's not wrong for someone to give a medical directive. Listen, I don't want to just sit and be a vegetable and get stuck on machines the rest of my life. It's not wrong for someone to say, listen, uh, uh, this is how old I am and this is what it's going to require to treat this and I, I just feel like I'd rather just go and be with the Lord. Right? That they're saying, Lord, we give you my days. That's not wrong. What is wrong is to actively try to end life. You see how this commandment builds out? It's incredibly pervasive in our lives. It has implications. Number four, abortion. So whether it be our young people, whether it be those struggling with no hope, whether it be our elderly, or whether it be the unborn, maybe this group is the least uh, uh, able to defend themselves. Who will stand for those who have no voice? Who will stand... For life that is assaulted from within the womb. Abortion is the taking of human life. And it's sinful. And it's wrong. It's murder. And we stand. And we have stood. And we continue to stand for life. Abortion is wrong. Cases of incest. Cases of rape. Choose life. Adoption. So many loving families wanting to adopt. This too is real and it hits so close to home. And just remind, just be reminded there is forgiveness. The Apostle Paul, a murderer, forgiven by God, set on the path to build God's church. So there is hope, there is forgiveness, there is restoration, there's healing. But let's stand for life, friends, and honor the Sixth Commandment. What should we do instead? Instead of killing, instead of murdering our fellow man, what should we do? Romans 13. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. What should we do instead of murder? Love. 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 Care for. Esteem. Agape love. That life is precious. That life matters. Love. Oh, the church leads the way and praise God for the way that she has led boldly and prolifically throughout the generations. Big sweeping movements of change for life, for honoring each person. Think of even the slave trade and how God raised up a believer to stand William Wilberforce to champion the Word of God in opposing the slave trade and its ripple effect throughout the world. 
I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. That commandment meets everyone today. We might not be tempted to go get the gun and end someone's life, but all of us battle having a heartfelt love for our enemies. Responding with blessing instead of cursing. And prayer in the face of abuse. Jesus captured this so well. As they nailed, hung him up on the cross. What was his prayer? Father, forgive them. He is righteous. He is sinless. He has every right to say, send them to the fires of hell for this infinite offense against my righteousness. Instead, his heart was for them in love. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we, we're benefactors of that prayer who had a hand in his death with each of our sins. Response this morning, I would just say this. I, I really appreciated this as I studied this past week. Someone said this, tolerance is not enough. I mean, th- this, this culturally esteemed word is so wimpy. You know what? I'm just going to tolerate you. Right? You think about it. I don't like you. I don't like what you stand for, but you know what? I'm really going to tolerate you. That's not enough for Christians, is it? That's not love. That's not for. It's not caring, entering in. So I would reject the wimpiness of tolerance. And in its place, put this, love from the heart. Love your neighbor from the heart. Hmm. And all of us can grow in this. You see, every command has its positive. This is the negative. Do not murder. You shall not murder. What is the positive? The positive is this. Love your neighbor from the heart. That's what we should be known for. Number two, continue to stand for the sanctity of all human life. Let's pray. Lord, we have experienced the reach of your command, the breadth of your scripture. Thank you for how you build out verses with other verses and you show us your truth by speaking consistently through your word to us. We thank you for your love for us when we did not deserve it, for your blessing us with your son Jesus for his prayer, for our forgiveness as we drove the nails with our sin. Oh, God, make us a people of love. Help us to shine in a culture that is focused on self and breathing murderous threats. Help us to esteem love and rise far above tolerance. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.